Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to bleep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. That's right, folks. The ooze are back. We got some ooze. Welcome, welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan, the podcast where it doesn't matter what you do the night before. You could party, you could drink, you could do whatever. But a man is at the podcast by dawn. <laughs> and uh, a man is so, never yeah, late welcome. for a podcast. Yeah, a man is never late for a podcast. Yeah. I uh, welcome. Welcome to the movie show. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And uh, yeah, thank you for joining us for uh, another week. We are getting into it, uh, getting into the holiday season. Um, and uh, yeah, which means that we'll... That means a lot more partying for you and a lot less the movie show with Joel and Ryan for us. Correct. Correct. And this I, is, and I, matter I, of fact, we got two shows after this show. Before yeah. The end and, of the year. and I... And I know that it will be hard, dear listener. I know that it will be difficult, but I, I just want you to know that we believe in you and we think that you can do it. We think that you can make it. You can make it. Um, you know, we'll, we'll give you a little bit, but you know what? You'll, we'll always be there. You can always go back and, and check out some of your favorite episodes. We're I recommend the you. Sherlock Holmes episode. Sherlock Holmes episode was really good. Um, I liked uh, I liked the big mega double feature episode that we did uh, with with Rob and Michael. Oh, that's um, just from a few are, weeks back. Yeah, it's a few weeks back. But that's I went really all the way one. back to like episode four, and you're like, "That's true." Let you're me like, see. Remember let me, a couple me... weeks ago? It's because you don't even remember back to episode four, do you? I I really don't. Yeah, I mean, I really <laughs> just sort of uh, I black out through most of the podcast and don't really remember much. We were all talking so, about doing our setting up our next movie club. And Joel's like suggesting all the movies we did this time last year for the movie club. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> we, we did those already. I, How can you not remember fair, this? I, yeah, these memories be, be, are so precious to me. And yet you just <laughs> trample all over them by pretending like they didn't even happen. Uh, just, to be fair, I tend to also, but I, I tend to rephrase it though. And like, we already talked about that, right? It's true. You do and you're like, yes. You do some yes, bet hedging when you do yeah, I conversations. Do. It's true. Uh, here, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a good episode. You can go back and watch. Uh, go back and watch. Uh, go back and watch. Uh, or, or listen to. Go back and listen to the movie club episode where we talk about uh, the movie, like Wall Street movies. Oh yeah. Um, where you get to one. hear me. You get to hear me wax poetic on uh, on the secret of my success. Yeah, and you get an actual you get uh, Wall Street and Working Girl from the point of view of someone who actually works in bank financing and stuff, and that's there you go. It's yeah. interesting because 
because neither one of us would have brought that perspective. I have to say, <laughs> no, no, that is true. That is true. <laughs> uh, of the many positions that we do not bring to the movie show, that's that one is, of them. That's that is one of them, and it was pretty vital at that for, for that episode. It helped a lot. Um, Matter of fact, I mm-hmm. I was tied up in the storytelling, and I kind of wanted to you know, say yeah. something. And she's like, no, 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 shut up. This finance detail is important. <laughs> and it, was, it yep. actually was important. And it sort of explained the plot, particularly of Wall Street in a way that I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I got the, I mean, I got what you need to get. We get well the gist. Yeah, we get the gist, but no, yeah. But the detail, the detail is particularly horrific. And I thought that that yeah. was really neat. So yeah, it's a good one. Hopefully, and, uh, we don't know yet, but hopefully we'll have another one of those before the end of the year. Maybe not. We'll see. Yeah, see, I was going to say, speaking of which, yeah, we're, we're we're working on possibly another movie club, another holiday movie club. Not talking about Prancer this time, though. Oh, boy. Uh, no. This Prancer hour. is rain dancer non grata around here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but no, what we are going to talk about today is... Um, there is, uh, I can't think of someone who uh, is a better representation of someone we should be thankful for. Uh, there you go. <laughs> that's my that's my weak ass tie-in <laughs> to the holidays. Is uh, yeah. So let us be thankful. We are today. We are going to be thankful not for the actor Robert Redford. No, but nobody's grateful for, for that arrogant jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but you know who we are thankful for? We're thankful for the director, Robert Redford. It's um you'll see as we go through the list, he dire- he's directed nine films. He's retired from acting now, so the idea was, well, maybe we can do an acting list, but that having just done Gene Hackman and and John Casale, it felt like it felt like sure we could do it, but it felt like too much. But you look at the film yeah. that he, you know, because I, despite my little dumb joke recently, Robert Redford as a leading man in Hollywood is, I mean, it's he really is top notch, and mm-hmm. uh, and but as a director, it's interesting director who's kind of told a bunch of different types of stories, kind of told a bunch of really different types of stories in a fairly similar fashion. Uh, I've used the quote on the show before. I don't remember who said it. It was a critic, but they said, you know, um, when an actor directs a movie, it shows that they had a movie in them. When they direct two movies, it shows they have a director in them. And he, Redford did nine, and a couple of them are really stone cold classics for what they are. And then it's mm-hmm. kind of it's an interesting list because it kind of everything else along the spectrum falls into it. Um, and I find that super interesting. I also think he's, he has ended on, I mean, uh, he said he's willing to direct again, but, but, you know, Hackman, Sean Connery, Paul Newman, when these guys disappeared from acting, they, we never really did see them again. I really do sort of feel some version of that, despite the Sundance tie-ins and all this stuff that he's still actively engaged in. I feel like Redford, you know that was a decision that he didn't take lightly that when he said, I'm done, he sort of means it. Yep. So we'll start yep. out with this. And I think he would like that. I mean, I, I can't speak for Robert Redford, but I think he would approve of us talking about his directorial efforts. Um, you know, I think he'd think that was cool and, 
Well, yeah, I mean, this is this is a guy who I mean, he he loves he loves film. He loves storytelling. It's absolutely in everything that he does. Yeah, uh, that's why he started the you know started Sundance and the the Sundance Festival and everything is is to try to give more filmmakers a, an outlet to uh, to to have their their products seen and is obviously it's turned into one of the biggest festivals um, in the world. Plus, he Film had festival. all those facilities there in Utah that he could buy for a yeah. song. Yeah, that were all and he that did were all buy them for, for the Osmond show back in the late seventies. Yeah, I do believe he did buy them for a song. He bought, you know, he sang which, which "Shall song? We Gather at the River." <laughs> Shall we gather at the river from Jeremiah Johnson? It's inappropriate. And, it's inappropriate too. Yeah, and uh, so uh, no, but he uh, no, he's so yeah, so he you know he's he's uh, 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 just. And and the yeah, Ryan's right. Do we want to talk about the Redford style, or do we want to sort of unveil the Redford style as we? Yeah, I think we'll let the Redford style. I think we'll let it speak for itself as we go through, because there's there's, you know, like I said, the stories are varied as stories get, but the there is a, there is a style there or, and occasionally a lack of style that goes with an actor directing that. Mm-hmm. Both of which are are important. When I say lack of style, I don't mean oh, you know, you don't. They tend to not be very stylish directors, actors. Think of Rob mm-hmm. Reiner and some of these other people. They they but they tend to, or very seldom do they lose track of the human element of the story, you know. And that's something yeah. that your stylistic your really stylish directors can definitely a trap that they can definitely fall into. Yeah. Um, I would say Eastwood too. Although I feel like, you know, when you're watching a Clint Eastwood directed film, there's this almost anti-style to it. It really is. I mean, it, 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 it really is like just focused on, on plot and character in this very, very, and emotion in this very, clean and deliberate way that is really really refreshing i think especially these days and mm-hmm. so you know and yeah you get that I think with, that comes yeah, out get, as you talk about each movie i think you really do see that yeah redford yeah and redford's um attention to performance uh i mean it's and 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 you can tell that he you know and and he's clearly uh, beloved by his fellow you know an actor getting a chance to do a Robert Redford film. Mm-hmm. You you see like every because these these movies are for the most part, especially as you you know get get into uh, you know like the the late nineties and into two thousands. Like it's a who's who. The casts are jam packed full of of great you know of great performers great actors that just are getting a chance to even just do one scene that you know that redford directs them in redford's a a matinee idol turned you know massive movie star and Mm -hmm. but that's never gotten in the way of his He's got his ticks and his tricks, but he's it's never gotten in the way of the integrity of his performance. And we've seen him, there's a handful of them throughout this, where he takes these actors that he sort of, typically it's actors, but it's a mix mixture as you go through, of yeah. people on the precipice of stardom, or people who are just 
you know, actors who are just sort of enough a part of the Hollywood machine that they're, that they're, the things that are superficial about them are the, all the story and he brings or helps them find the substance within them. And that's, as a director, that's that empathy that the actor himself, Redford has for the cast mates that he's working with on these films, whether he's mm -hmm. acting alongside them or not is really, really interesting. And we'll talk about some of the cooler ones as we go for sure. Yeah. And yeah, well, it starts, uh, starts with the very first one, actually. Yeah, the, the first, way. I mean, uh, if you want, if this were a mixtape, this first one would be a banger. Because, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's well, a. We should say if it were a mixtape, we wouldn't have the movies all in the, all in chronological that's order. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's true. one way of making uh, a mixtape, but it's, it's a bit of a. It's a bit of an OCD sort of cop out way of making. It. <laughs> uh, the, no, but we're yeah, going to so talk we gonna, about. Yeah. yeah, we're going to start with his first direct his directorial debut in 1980, and we're going to go to the end and and kind of like we've done for other shows where we talk about a guy's career in chronological order. We'll rank them as we go, and Joel will rattle off the list, and I'm sure what will be an entertaining Carnival Barker style list at the very end <laughs> to remind you to remind you Indeed. of their hierarchy. Indeed. So let's start off with in 1980. Um, you want to play the, the countdown hilarious. theme? Oh, yeah, I guess this is technically a countdown. I guess we we're going to jump right in. I, I'm terribly sorry. Technically a countdown. It is. Technically. because it. Yeah. I mean, Why not play yeah, a beloved so, fanfare before we begin? That's true. That's true. Let's. Uh, all right. So here we go. A countdown of the directed films of Robert Redford. Woo. Ten seconds. Nine. Nine. Eight. eight seven. seven six, Six, five, five, four, three, three two, two, one, one. It is a countdown. There you go. It is a countdown. Legit. I was so, I was just locked in. I was getting, I was all fired up with my plot synopses and everything. I was ready to go and I totally forgot that. We're going to need those ready. for a couple of these. Yeah. Um, all right. So 1980, it is. Uh, yeah, it is a movie that he comes out of the gate with and just uh, destroys people, rips them apart. And um, and uh, <laughs> uh, in a just, uh, you know, just a fantastic drama um, uh, with, a, again, a, a crazy talented cast. And of course, we're talking about ordinary people. Yeah, this was a really neat era for movies like these Kramer versus Kramer. I can't remember the name of the Alan Parker one with Albert Finney, but that came out right after this. Uh, Great Santini. These stories mm -hmm. about these families, just like you and me, sort of just like you and me, there's always some thing that makes them special, but they still, it's the life of these normal suburban middle-class people and their plights and the things that they're going through. This particular family, and this, watch, revisiting this movie... This was interesting because it, it, I don't know if this is, I don't know how, there's a, a psychologist plays a big role in this film played by Judd Hirsch. Yeah. Um, but I think that the psych, like the pop psychology of the culture was very, very different because this is a family of four, essentially, uh, to parent, you know, a nuclear family, two parents and two sons, two brothers. This is something we're going to see repeated here in a few films um but the thing 
that's unique about them, I guess, there's, you know, is that, or the inciting incident of really everything going on in the film is that one of these boys, would, before the movie even starts, was torn from the family in a boating accident and drowned. And the novel Ordinary People, which is a really, really good novel, um, it, it is just, it's... It's exploring a couple of different things. The, the, you know, one thing is depression and how one functions with depression. Um, it, she's the author's fascinated by that. And the other thing is is the way that relationships break down when people don't recognize um, grief mechanisms in other people. This is very common, actually. Um, that those things become conflict between people because because mm -hmm. they remain unrecognized and 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 recognizing them especially if not everyone's willing to do that and deal with them at the same time is isn't necessarily the solution always either and it's heartbreaking in that way the the main couple in the film is played by Donald Sutherland and a career best role i think for sutherland he uh he wasn't the first choice for this part at all but he he and he was actually the he was one of the first choices for the psychologist character but he didn't really at this point in his career and if you familiar with what he was doing around this time he didn't want to play another sort of eccentric uh scene stealing part he identified with his father and wanted to play that that you know wanted to play that role and they said well okay we'll think about it and they tried a couple other slightly more conventional leading men before coming back to donald yeah. and i mean what they got from him was so strong he plays his stuff so honestly and believably and that's sort of the that's sort of the magic of the whole piece um the the wife is played by mary tyler moore Again, and I'll say a career best performance. Um, in a really, really misunderstood character in both the novel and the film, I think there were a lot of people who still say, "Oh, you know, she's this, this, she's that." Like there's people who really reject and dislike mm -hmm. this character and her effect on the other people in the story. And I think I don't think the film does that. I don't think Redford does it, and I don't think the author does it. And I think Mary's like approach to the to the character is really extraordinary. So I really hate when I hear that, but that was the common refrain that she's almost a villain of the piece. And yeah, the villain is this tragic death. Really that, you know, if there is one, there probably isn't one, but Mary Tyler Moore, you know, who none of, and this is one thing that's miraculous about her in this film. None of her usual, things are on display here at all like not nothing of, of hers is here part of that yeah. they had to fight against a little as they were doing the movie because i think some of it did show up and they sort of you know but it, it was a real partnership between redford and Moore to get a performance to where it's all that's so good that people almost turn against her in the film yeah um, yeah, there was those there was those awkward moments where like, you know, they're talking about the the kid's death and and she's like, "Oh, Rob." 
And and now we're like, oh, come on, you can't, you know. And Redford, we like, cut. Yeah, there's cut. all this behind the scene. Yeah, no, all no, this no. behind the scene. No, it's a neat story how he thought of her because yeah. he he she was a tough sell to everybody involved in this. This was a modest well, movie, sure. so the artistic choices that the artists had basically they got their way on because it was not jillions of dollars at stake here. You know, even during this time period, there wasn't in most movies. But it wasn't, you know, Flash Gordon where the studio wanted somebody with this shaped butt or these yeah. width of shoulders this, or any of that nonsense. This was, actor's got a lot of heat right now. We got to cast him. But Redford was out <laughs> walking on the beach that for his California property that he lived on. And he sh- shares that with Mary Tyler Moore's home somewhere down the beach. And he just saw her standing out like a sweatshirt and jeans and staring at the ocean in a sort of contemplative mm-hmm. moment. And he didn't recognize her. And then when he did, it, it just it, it made him look at her in a whole different way. And I, you see this a lot. Leonard, most famously Leonard Nimoy, who really took people that were pigeonholed into being one thing and put them into roles where they could be something completely different because he mm-hmm. felt that and felt like part of his job when he was a bit of a Hollywood mover and shaker was to give people the opportunity to do something different that he felt he didn't exactly didn't quite ever have and th- this though was something different this was some weird soulful connection some haunting thing that Redford was haunted by that he could never get out of his head that Mary Tyler Moore was this woman and yeah. he that she was his first choice she was very interested in doing it because who wouldn't be what actor wouldn't want to do a drama with a lot of meat on the bone like this and to do something yeah. different than they've always been done or than they've been being asked to do. She calls it, well, she can't remember the term she uses, some rare thing, like the Holy Grail of her performance or something. Like it's just sure. this rare, fortunate, lucky thing that she did, even though, like I said, she got a lot of, man, why did you do that? That woman's a bitch and all this stuff. She heard that all throughout the years. Um, I don't think a modern audience would watch ordinary people if you've never seen it and feel that way. Honestly, I think we're, I think from a psychology standpoint, we're all open-minded. In fact, it's weird watching it. It's weird how every, all the ancillary characters, family members, coworkers, neighborhood people all sort of just dance around the fact that they've had this incredible profound loss in their family. Like it's just something you sort of move on from you know life goes on that's sort of the attitude Mm -hmm. of the world of the story and i feel like we could benefit from a little of that honestly today where we really we can let things anchor us in in ways that aren't healthy but it's it's surprising because it's not you lose somebody close to you today and it's the huge thing that it should be and i think the world around us are are everybody you know they don't put up with you just disappearing from life forever but they really do I think we really do respect each other's need to mourn and respect life-changing incidents like that. It, it, apparently that yeah. they did in 1980, if you're going by this film. But I buried the lead a little bit. The main character of this story, even though it was he's just the supporting actor at the Oscars somehow, we'll never <laughs> we'll never figure out how that works. But is uh, the the son that was left behind, who was part of this accident 
who was able to hold on a little longer and survive during this storm and this boating accident and has tremendous survivor's guilt and all kinds of psychological, emotional hangups as a result, played by Timothy Hutton in a stunning performance. Um, and his debut, stunning debut performance. Just, yeah. just amazing yeah. acting by Timothy that, that you have to give Redford a little bit of the credit from, although Hutton certainly continued to prove that he was a powerhouse in the films that he did after this. Um, in fact, he almost stubbornly only did good, meaty, substantive films. He needed a, <laughs> he needed to have a Back to the Future in there somewhere yeah. so that, you know what I mean? So that we didn't quickly uh, sweep him under the rug the way Hollywood kind of did. But hey, look, right. I'm not, uh, Tim's he, got a yeah. great career. He's still around doing cool stuff. So I'm not going to lament that, all that too much, but, but he, he's a, he's a serious guy and he's playing this serious kid and it's, it just, it, and it's so much real vulnerability and so much of his himself and his, the way he delivers things and reacts to things. Um, young Timothy Hutton and young, uh, both in their film debuts, Elizabeth McGovern go out on a date in this film. And it's just the, the, you just see the greatness. There's, and it, and it's not in that showy, it's what we talked about when we were talking about John a few weeks back. It's not in that showy, here's my big monologue. There certainly is that in the film, but it, it, yeah. you know, and that, as I say, you, nailing that is the sign of an actor that deserves to be in a film like this, but there's so much more that you have to do these quiet moments and stuff. And these two are just embody these two awkward kids who can't communicate. Yeah. But want, to sort of desperately and it, it it it's all that comes through in this glorious real way that i just find stunning um his friend on the swim team is i is played by frederick lane i want to say was really really good in it yep um james b sicking and basil hoffman and all these handful of really good actors sort of appear around them but it's it, even McGovern's not in the movie that much. She's, but she's a delight. It's fun. Yeah. It's really fun to watch her in it. Dinah Manhoff, I guess I should mention her too. Tim mm -hmm. Hutton's character's tried to kill himself, and he's back out of the clinic, and he's back in school, and he's just trying to manage his depression in a it's not okay to be not okay era, and it's 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 just difficult, and he can't. He does the best he can. He he he's honest with people when he's painted into a corner. But but that just wanting to be normal desperately and that not wanting to feel this stuff and that just wanting to avoid triggers, that's all very it all feels very honest and real psychologically. And I just appreciate it so much. Uh Hirsch is fantastic in it. He did his work, I think, in eight days or something, because he had to get back to taxi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but he's fun. He's fun as the, you know, as the sort of Robin Williams, goodwill hunting character. Basically, this is very much an early yeah. template of that kind of guy. He's a, he's obviously a nurturing guy, but he's a, he's a confrontational psychologist <laughs> and, yeah. and you get the sense that that's right. And that's what you have to be that this until, until you deal with stuff, you, you don't, you're not really dealing with it. As sympathetic as we are to not wanting to deal with it, I, it 
it's really, really powerful when they do. And I think it leads the story into places you don't expect. Um, it was rightfully a Best Picture nominee. Um, Hutton won, was the youngest to win Best Supporting Actor. I think that was beat by Anna Paquin, I guess, eventually. Yeah. But, but And technically not, because he's they it's different category, but I sort of, you know. Yep. Um, but it was revelatory at the time, and it turned him into something of a lower scale film, but still something of a movie star for quite a while for the next eight years or so. And we got a lot of really great work out of Tim, uh, Falcon and the snowman and Daniel and taps. And I mean, the list just goes on and on. Like he's Turk 182. One of my favorite movies. Turk was sort of the beginning of the end, but sure. (laughs) We like Turk 182. We like Bob Clark around here. We seem, we seem to not be able to avoid talking about Bob. We, (laughs) he might deserve his own show. Yeah. Cause I look at him and I'm like, well, he doesn't, but, Maybe does. Turk 182 is fun, but it's it's more of a straight to HBO kind of silly fest. I'm not sure that's what I had in mind. Yeah. Way to get that one in there. And that's like the commercial <laughs> sellout film that yeah. it's that like if I'm gonna do something as cheesy as this, why did it not make a lot more money? It's kind of sad actually. Right. Right. Maybe that'll show up on the on their next HBO special. Certainly that's kind of where I uh, that's kind of where I figured it would end up. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, it didn't. It won, yeah, I won a whole host. It won Best Picture. It, you know, that the Ordinary People is the famous story. The Ordinary People beat out Raging Bull for uh, for Best Picture. Yeah. Which, you know, some people can't forgive it for. But it really is a movie. You know, and this is, again, it's a movie talking about mental health in 1980. Yeah. You know, it, there was, you know, that's that 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 wasn't a thing that was talked about. Oh. Raging Bull sort of deals with that, <laughs> to be well, fair. Um, but yes, look, Raging Bull's the black and white sort of, you know, the, uh, the big bombastic major period drama with all the artistic presentions attached to it. Raging Bull's pretty special, I have to say. But mm-hmm. I, 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 ordinary people is really really special it's maybe not unique for its time because there were a lot a lot of movies like this at the time but i think it's better yeah. than it it's a tick better than kramer versus kramer and some of the other films around the same time it really is a brave and special film even if for the filmmaking itself is simple and and uh conventional to a fault that's what serves the story. And so this was a great debut and a great fit in terms of what the project was and what needed to be bled out of it. Uh, Redford, you have to give him all the credit for that. I, I think it's, I just think it's really, really strong. I think it's a really strong story about a high school kid. It's a really strong story about a, a couple trying to deal with loss and you know, uh, who love each other but cannot connect on the most important thing that happened in their lives. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, getting married. You think, oh, seeing my son born. Like, these these are supposed to be the most important things in your lives. Losing your teenage son, um, the rabble-rouser of the two, but the one that always got along with people easiest, like, losing that bit of charisma in your family unit. I mean, it's it's... It's, a, it's unimaginable if you haven't gone through it. And this film, yeah. this film 
gets your it engages your empathy in all the right ways and it's really really powerful in that way and so yeah. i i really really like it and it does have a, a raging bull character in it she just is a normal person and yeah. that makes it all the more human and amazing and uh, so i really love ordinary people i i i kind of see what people i kind of see what i'm a film i'm a film nut or a cinephile to the degree that i get the i get the i get the debate but right i also see what connected with people when with something like rocky or something like chariots of fire or something like green book like i get it i really do understand that sometimes that that cultural thing that makes you feel a certain way takes the day against something that's probably has a lot more artistic flair Mm -hmm. and and power but maybe slightly less human power i don't know i love ordinary people we have it as what number two it is our number two robert redford film two out of nine i couldn't have made 10 this could have been a top 10 list it would have been that's what you know what that's why that's really the reason why i hesitated playing the countdown theme yeah because it it wasn't a full 10 yeah 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 yeah. Um, all right. Next, uh, next one. We have to wait eight years for Redford to direct another film. Yeah. And uh, and when he does, he goes because uh, he mean, was busy making the natural and out of Africa. Yeah. He, I mean, he yeah. was busy being. Yeah, he a wasn't movie doing star. nothing. Yeah. He was being a movie star. He, you know, he wasn't doing nothing. It's just he was. Yeah. He was doing other things, and and finally found a project that he wanted to uh, direct again. Yeah. And uh, the movie that he directs in 1988 is called The Malagro Beanfield War. I just watched this for the purposes of the show last week. I'd never seen it before. And I knew about it. I knew partly about it because I think Dave Grusin won the Oscar for Best Score over John Williams yes. for Empire of the Sun, which I was yes, kind did. of bouncing off the wall in protest about. Although it was one of those weird years, if memory serves, where Williams was nominated for like two movies that usually got him. He usually canceled himself out when that happened. But man, the music for Empire of the Sun, am I right? Holy smokes. Yep. Yep. And And weirdly enough, weirdly enough, no soundtrack available for the Malagro Beanfield War. Isn't that weird? Oscar winning soundtrack with no soundtrack available? Where the guy who did the soundtrack actually owns his own record label. (laughs) I mean, and it's still yeah. no soundtrack. That is a little strange. Yeah, a couple. Uh, there's a couple tracks apparently on. Uh, there, they were included as a bonus suite on his 1989 album Migration. That's the only way you're going to hear some Milagro Beanfield War music on its, it's own. It's weird. I can see the appeal at the time. It's very melodic and very musical, which is very fun. It's very as this ethnic sort of uh, Mexican border state flavor to it that's really, really cool. And it's light jazz enough that it feels fairly contemporary, all of which represents the movie very well. But it's Mm -hmm. still still an old old white guy, light jazz musician playing ethnic music in a movie. It's it's very antiquated by today's standards. Just Mm -hmm. the light jazz alone, frankly, is like a thing that doesn't really exist anymore. (laughs) Does Kenny G even make albums anymore? If he does, people aren't buying them, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't see him on the holiday ads and such like I used to. So so we're starting with that because that was the – to me, that Oscar solidified this film's reputation as a 
legit movie for whatever reason in my mind throughout the years even though i'd never seen it milagro beanfield war is a cute and clever movie and it has something to say which i really appreciate but i have Mm -hmm. to say watching it i was dumbfounded by how wrong-headed it is in terms of how its ideas and how the actions of the film sort of fit within our modern culture like we've we've come a long way you know when i talk about something like broadcast news which i really really love and i'm like the the journalistic scandal at the heart of broadcast news just it makes you blush because you're like somebody that's something somebody was (laughs) like we it's deteriorated into such a disastrous mess modern journalism if you can even call it that that when you go back and watch something from 1988 and you see the doom they're predicting and it and the and it, it the reality comes nowhere near or you know the doom they're predicting comes nowhere near the actual reality that happened it like comes nowhere near mm-hmm. it like it's not in the same ballpark with it it's not in the parking lot it's across state lines from the idea and the end <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> milagro beanfield war is this cool ensemble thing it's got tons of great actors in it which we could read off their names yep. Here's the um, here's the little here's the little story synopsis the one sentence IMDb help. thing it'll help an accidental breakdown of a valve on the irrigation ditch launches a hot confrontation between local farmers and corrupt authorities. <laughs> There's a local farmer, uh, yeah. a, a former Mexican immigrant. This all the people in this are Americans, I believe. So I'm sorry for calling them, you know, Latino guy who is a latina land owner and farmer in new mexico and he's pissed mm-hmm. about something so he kicks he kicks this valve and the valve breaks and the water just gently rolls downhill and starts irrigating his land yeah yeah water that water that he's not supposed to have access to exactly water uh, that they're pipelining they're... on the border uh, of his property off to some place where they want to build this big development so it really right. is the little the little farmers against the brown farmers against the white government people and and developers with this really cool who, who I wish they did a series like I wish this guy had his own TV show this sheriff played by Ruben Blades who just wonderfully <laughs> yeah. um who's top build in the movie but it's hard to call him the main character of the movie it's it really yeah. is like a hodgepodge of misadventures Right. But you know, this gets it, the press gets involved. This activist lawyer, played wonderfully by John Hurd, gets involved. Um, the families, the you know, the governor of New Mexico, the, all the developers and stuff. There, uh, the the white cops and the Latino cops are all sort of divided, and it it ranches up racial tensions over this nothing thing, and. That leads to people arming themselves. It leads to a really unfortunate shooting where one older uh, Latino character is shooting at others and gets shot in return and almost dies. Um, and it's at this point in the story where you're, it's not a satire anymore and people arming themselves and shooting at each other isn't... It, like the movie, the movie ends with the, huh, you know, that happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and to me it's like yeah. it it gun culture and the people arming themselves against each other racially like watching that in 
I don't want to call it a lightweight movie because the movie's got some heavy moments. It doesn't blow off the heavy moments. Redford has a real knack for finding where the thing is serious, where it's goofy, where it's funny, and telling a pretty engaging story that passes two hours really easily because it's all so well done. But th that idea of uh, racial tensions heightening to the point of gunplay and yet it all kind of working out in the end is <laughs> I, I find that unacceptable at this point like that. I just yeah. can't, I can't get to the end of Milagro Beanfield war as it is. Um, I get is 87 or whatever is a completely different time, uh, 88, but it just, yeah, ugh, it, it, yeah. Right. I mean, you watched I it. I agree. It, no, I agree. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I, I, you know, there's these, there's these sort of lighthearted, sort of fanciful. Uh, you know, goes yeah, like like you said, the 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 places where it's supposed to try to be like, have a little bit more of a Mexican flair to it and a little bit more of a Latino flair to it. Well, it's uh, full of really really good Latino actors and stuff in these, in these yeah, great yeah. roles. So that's. It, that, it's an opportunity meant, for that at a time where you didn't yeah. even have that. So that part of it is kind of neat. Yeah. I, but, but I mean, like stylistically, it'll just go from like being a sort of straightforward story to then this sort of fanciful, weird thing that, and you're right. It feels like it feels out of left field. It feels, uh, you know, uh, I, you, I, again, not to, you know, not to just say the critics were right, but I want to find this quote that, uh, I think it was uh, Robert. Uh, yeah, Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert said um, the, he he gave it a mixed review, saying the result is a wonderful fable, but the problem is some of the people in the story know it's a fable and others do not. <laughs> and, and, and and to me, I'm like, oh yeah, that that makes perfect sense. Some of some people are doing a completely different movie than than other people. Right, 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 uh, right. In, in in this and and so that yeah and and that is why I, I felt Field the War. weight of the real world pressing down on me the whole time I was watching uh, this fable, which is a really good term for it. And it just doesn't it doesn't find that whatever yeah. It doesn't it 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 has it in there, but it really ends up feeling like it's something that's a near human disaster that you know, I just I don't yeah. want to just complete it's a w movie worth your time because it is really well done but it I, I don't want to ruin the thing that really just pushed me over the edge into no it can't be like that there yeah. has to be some consequences for these people's decisions that are so poor and so dangerous because of their own spiteful differences and stuff there has to be some consequences for it and I believe that in the end, the movie just doesn't make that case. It 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 jumps over itself to avoid making it. In fact, which I mm -hmm. couldn't 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 go there. Yeah. So yeah, and that is, is why the the Milagro Beanfield War is number eight on our list of uh, Robert Redford. The yeah. eight out of nine of Robert Redford. What yeah. could be worse than that? We'll what is worse than the Milagro Beanfield War? Well, <laughs> well, you we it's, will get to it's it. like this cute little movie. Like you really want to like it, you know. Yeah. And and yet, no, yeah, look, yeah, look. These, you know, we're not talking about like these movies are 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 bad, like uh, Velocipaster bad. <laughs> um, you know, we're yeah, not, it's but, just it's just of these of these none of films, them are flat out it? dismissibly bad but it Correct. this one this one really doesn't hold up at all in a in any mm -hmm. way that you would want it to 
And I wish I'd right. seen it back in 88 so that I could have seen it yeah. in that context. Maybe I'd have felt differently, although Ebert nails it, man. It's exactly yeah. correct. His take on the tonal missteps of it are is exactly correct. Mm-hmm. And yet his sort of, even in his criticism, which cuts right to the heart of the thing, his sort of, his acceptance of it and his understanding of it is there too, which I, I can understand somebody having that kind of reaction to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Daniel, hey, Stern too, Daniel Stern's fun in it too. There's a lot yeah. of fun. M. Emmett Walsh is in it. Jerry Harden. Um, it's a really good, cool, interesting group of actors. Yep. Um, so, you know, who's really, really handsome. That Robert Redford, he's a very handsome man. You know who's also really, really handsome? Devilishly handsome, you might say. You know, yeah, yeah. And you know who's like really, also really, really handsome? Who? That Brad Pitt. Ah, uh, yes. That, that, that Brad Pitt is real, real handsome. That Brad Pitt's you know a what happens? fellow. And you combine these two in, in one film, there's too much handsomeness. <laughs> too much handsomeness. And so, in ni- especially for 1992, I was graduating from high school in 92. How was I supposed to compete with the handsomeness of a river runs through it? Well, you could always just keep comparing yourself to Craig Schiffer, I guess. That's true. He's pretty <laughs> or, ugly for, for the a main like, character in a story like yeah. this. I was like, what if I just grow a stash like Tom Skerritt? Maybe I could be more Tom Skerritt. And then I can't grow a stash. I just um, don't see how... Look, yeah. uh, you know, J- Joel in 1992 was a pretty handsome fella, not to get too totally out of line. <laughs> uh, I, I even conventionally handsome leading man. So that is, you got to play a lot more of those roles than I did. I did. I did get to, um, uh, I get to get my fair share. Yeah. So it's not too bad. Don't sell yourself short. But yeah, Brad Pitt's Captain Beautiful. Oof. I we used to yeah. joke about it. You know, he, he hadn't done a whole ton up to the cool world and a handful of things. Um, but it's just like, how can you not put him in a thing? He's beautiful. <laughs> he really mm-hmm. was like the, the boy wonder of Hollywood at the time, but it, it, he even credits this film more than any other at that time of, of taking that, what that was and utilizing it in a way that was substantive. And that of course, it, it's a, you can tell it's a character in a performance that is very Redford like in its sort of charm and yet in the way that it it the way the character hides this sort of inner i don't want to call it turmoil but it's the opposite of timothy hutton's character is just going through this stuff and it's out there on his sleeve and even when he's not talking about it you can feel it uh what's the brother's name brad pitt's character in a river runs through it uh brad pitt is sorry i was looking at another plot point here uh his uh paul 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 mclean he's all about keeping he's a poker player and he's all about keeping it under the chest and never really revealing anything and we see him in the light of his younger is his younger or older brother older brother it really feels like brad pitt's the big brother to craig schiffer but i believe technically it's slightly the uh, other way around i think you're right yes um but the we'll just say the dominant brother <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah because he really is he's the one that gets them into trouble he's the one that get you know he's just you know he's this fun 
rambunctious, charismatic guy that everybody loves, despite the fact that he, you know, he's got trouble in his eyes. That's part of what makes him sexy, and Pitt is so fantastic in this part. But what really is there that is important and that he needs to sell is this guy is can't. He's a he's he's not fixable really. He's this thing. It's on this narrow line. He's traveling in one direction. Can't be stopped no matter what you do, and you can certainly romanticize that. Everybody in his life does, much to his doom, frankly. And Schiffer plays a guy who's who's much, much less like Redford on screen and yet is voiced over by Redford, presumably being him in his later years. Mm -hmm. um, it's a story, well, read the synopsis and we'll go from there. Uh, yeah, sure. There's I'm, uh, hard to find one that's uh, nice, really short, but we'll go with... Um, the McLean brothers, Paul and Norman, yeah. uh, live a re relatively idyllic life in rural Montana, spending much of their time fly fishing. Uh, the sons of a minister, Tom Skerritt, plays the minister. The boys eventually part company when Norman moves east to attend college, leaving his rebellious brother to find trouble back home. When Norman finally returns, the siblings resume their fly fishing outings and assess both where they've been and where they're going. Well, that's... That's a pretty good synopsis. It's this one's tough because it's super episodic and weird and it's hard to really know what it's about. It's not a nice linear plotted story. It's based on a novel that is clearly based on very specific reminiscences and mm -hmm. so it has that feel to it. Um it's as every bit as scattered as Milagro Beanfield War is and yet the ensemble is much smaller. The focus emotionally is much more specific. The big, broad strokes are relatable, sort of. I mean, because these are sort of cliched characters. The cute, mm -hmm. troublesome younger brother. The, you know, the contemplative, sort of brooding older brother. The overbearing, yet warm preacher father. All these things are things we've seen in movies before. So it, it feels very familiar and i'm and i i don't even know that the plot of it really is any good or terribly useful um i rated this joel rated pretty high i rated it even higher and it's because there's something just quintessentially red 40 and about the way this film is done and it really really mm -hmm. did connect it's a it's a small weird voiced over period drama you know what I mean? That's relatively mm -hmm. formless. And yet it really, really did connect with audiences at the time. And I think that's because it says something universal about humanity, you know, it's, and there's a poetry to the novel, which normally I don't love voiceovers, but it's hard to begrudge Redford reading passages from the novel as time passes because it, you get the language of the thing in sort of a glorious way that even though the characters do a good job of conveying all that, it, it's neat to have a sort of overseer talk you through it. Um, it's mm -hmm. stunningly shot, stunning period details, costumes, cars, cabins. The fly fishing scenes on the Big Fork River in Montana are amazing. Um, they're just glorious. Magic time shooting stuff, rays of sunlight. Uh, there's plenty of humor in it. There's some romance. It, it, it's just this prestige movie hodgepodge of stuff that works more, much more often than it doesn't. So, yeah, I I really like it for that reason. I, I think you know I think you've got a, a, a director actor who 
related to the material, wanted to tell the story, and told it with a great deal of integrity. And even though, as a movie, it's not as clean and pointed, I think, as you want, I think it... I, I've never read it, but it feels... It captures the feel of a novel on screen in a way that I think is undeniable and that I think people who like the novel really like the film. And that's not... is certainly not always how it shakes out when you're doing adaptations and such. So yeah. Great yeah. music too. I can't remember who does the music, but it's lovely. Oh, of course you do that as soon as I'm. Uh, yeah, Joel, as soon as you're ready music. to segue to the next. Thing. Mark Isham. Mark Isham. Oh yeah. Did the music oh, per, for, again? Uh, perfect fit. Perfect yeah. fit. A composer and material, and and it's just it's glorious. So I really like it. Mm. At the same time, I just rattled off what I like about mm -hmm. it. At the same time, I'm not sure how really good it is. It it does feel like a. It it is is a little unfocused, right? I mean, is that the term? Yeah, yeah. But it you know, it, especially when it comes to you know uh, brother relationships and father son relationships, it's you know it's hard not to it it, it absolutely lands those it, in those moments that you know are just you're like yeah dang yeah that, you know it, it just it feels lived in it feels real it feels. Um, and it, yeah, I think it's I, one of the top most. If to get, this is a word I said that a Redford project really does tend to askew. It's one of the more stylish films. Part of that's just mm -hmm. the period trappings and the outdoor cinematography. But nevertheless, those things are played up. The music is played up. The melodrama is played up, and so you really do get this. It's a just this broadly entertaining thing where that could have collapsed at any place and kind of doesn't. The, the house of cards stays together to the very end. And that yeah. is kind of magic. I think. Yep. So that is our number three film. Number three. Uh, in the Redford list. It's his number uh, three our, film. And it's our number three film in the countdown. Nice. There it is. That's uh, that's called synergy. Um, anyway, uh, our next film uh, is Just from 1994. A couple no of years later. Time. Yep. Um, it's from 1994. And it is a movie about the game show scandals of 19. Oh, good. I should. I started a sentence and then uh, didn't uh, like the 1958 um, game show scandals. Uh, quiz show scandals, they call it technically. Yeah, yes. the quiz show scandals. Yeah, the, so it's called it's quiz show. It's quiz show. 1994's quiz show, uh, starring Ray Fiennes and John Turturro and Rob Morrow and a whole bunch, just a whole bunch of uh, really awesome actors. Paul Schofield. Um, Ugh, Paul Schofield. Yeah. Good lord. Um, it it. It's amazing because we just watched something that felt like it come from Redford's soul, you know, truly. It, River Runs yeah. Through. That's the power of it. This film, by comparison, is completely mercenary. It's also a period movie. It's very lavishly done. It's it's an ensemble film where the acting is really really important. Um, it's a real life story, so it's got a lot of this sort of stuff that he's shown that he's good at, but it. It Redford, it's hard it, when you're watching it, and maybe this is a testament to how good the movie is because you're not even really thinking about these things when you're watching it. But it, mm -hmm. 
it doesn't. It's hard to imagine Redford behind the camera of this particular film, in, in a way where it's so easy to imagine him behind the camera of a river runs through it. It's it's yeah. not hard at all. Partly because his, he keeps talking to you throughout the movie that helps, but um, but that's not a knock on Quiz Show. In fact, that might be the that might be one of the things that's so powerful about it. Um, I don't even know where to start. Why don't you read that? You got a synopsis of this. That's hopefully shorter uh, than that last one. <laughs> Let me see here. Um, where is everything? It all went away. Uh, quiz show. Okay. Um, quiz show is uh, a young lawyer, Richard Goodwin investigates a potentially fixed game show. Charles Van Dorn, a big time show winner is under Goodwin's investigation. Goodwin played by Rob Morrow in uh, certainly a career best performance from him. I don't think there's any question. He's outstanding right. in this film and he's not exactly the main character, but we it's like a lot of Redford. He gets a lot away with a lot of shifting the main focus of the thing in his films in a way that other people don't. And I think it's that attention to detail and the acting and that, bringing multiple human perspectives to a thing and the power of that, like he really handles that well. Obviously that's mm -hmm. the script must be like that to begin with, but yeah, but it's a really good, even though it doesn't, you know, stylistically feels like something different. It's a super good fit in that way. Morrow's great in it. Ray finds in, in his, this tiny little window he had where he was a Hollywood leading man following up his Oscar nomination in Schindler's list. Um, this is by far the best performance that he had, at least doing that yeah. type of stuff. And it might mm -hmm. be the best performance that he's ever had in that it really requires a good deal of character. Rafe, we know him now, and so we know that this guy, when we're watching the movie, is is putting he really is putting on a character for us. Um yeah. and yet the guy feels like somebody that we completely get to know. And despite his sort of tied up into this scandal I always say this. Uh, Joel watches things slightly different than me. Maybe you do too, America. I don't really know, but I, I even when somebody's flat out bad guy, when the cops are breathing down their neck, I get caught up. This and this is why I, one of the reasons I'm no doubt I love movies so much is I get caught up in the chase. I want the rabbit to get away almost every time, even if they're terrible people. Like something yeah. about me, I'm wired in this way that that's somehow what I'm invested in. And if, yeah. and in this case, this, the, the situation this guy gets himself into is so relatable and so understandable and so harmless in a way that you really like him just wish yeah. he could squeak out somehow the other end of it and it, it would all be okay. And to some degree or another, Spoiler alert, he does, really. I mean, to be fair sure. to the, you know, to the story, it's not some awful piling on. But he becomes the face of this scandal that, you know, it... it, it, it yeah, deserved really... or not, he, he, yeah, he absolutely becomes... Yeah, I mean, yeah, he is, he is the face of it because he was the biggest... He was the biggest thing in the world. Yeah, or maybe not in the world, but certainly no, he, the was what, thing he was what he was what on television. Yeah, yeah, he was what he was a big television star. He was a you know he was 
you can't compare it to being like a longtime Jeopardy champion, although that's close. These were the primetime shows of their day. The, yeah. you know, the Requiem for a Heavyweight, like Friday Night Theater stuff was not the thing people were tuning in. There was no Charlie's Angels. There was no Skarsky and Hutch. There was no Dukes of Hazard. It was these real-life characters and their real-life opinions and people who were celebrities for just the things they thought or the things that they knew and of course, it, it's inevitable that that, because that's what was at stake, America's interest, that it became mm -hmm. a fixed stage thing. And I mean, it has a, absolutely the weight of inevitability to it. There's no question that it would have gone, until it was deemed unacceptable to be that way, it, would, it, it was totally going to be that way. David Paymer and Hank Azari are absolutely fantastic as the shows do kind of movers and shakers who yep. manipulate that behind the scenes. Um, Paymer, Azaria is always great, and he brings a lot of great stuff to this, of course. But Paymer in yeah. particular, wow. He, he really, when he has to make his case for why they did what they did, he it, it's, it's expert and heartbreaking yeah. in a way that's kind He's, of amazing. I mean, he, he is a weasel in a suit. Uh, and it's, um, yeah. It's, but even it's really he, great. even he is relatable and understandable in a way that in a lesser mm -hmm. film, uh, that guy would have been a ridiculous over the top dude. And this dude isn't. Um, yeah. And yeah. of course you can't as brilliant as finds is in it. And he's, he's the guy holding down the fort without a doubt. It's his movie and he's absolutely brilliant in it i think um it's it it's john turturro who comes in like a tornado in every scene he's in yeah. he's the uh <laughs> he's the slighted former champion who has yeah. to be humbled on tv by not knowing the answer to a question after months of being the champion not knowing the answer to a question that literally everybody in america knew like the the way they write his out yeah you know, and Totoro plays him like a guy on the edge. He plays him like a guy who's like a Bobby Fischer type of character who's not entirely stable, um, mm -hmm. but has a legitimate beef with the world and with the network. And so you're you're with even though you want him to go away at a certain point in the movie, you you are you get it. You're on his side too. Um, John is fantastic at this era of his career, Barton Fink and the stuff yeah. that he was doing. It's just out, out, out of this world. Great stuff. Um, and this guy's sort of this character and this performance is really, really at the heart of that, that, uh, uh, Schofield, who's a very, you know, Shakespearean British sort of, uh, you know, just, incredible heightened like stage actor is so subtle and simple in this film and his he's fantastic in it too and i i really adore the story i love the look of it if you're one of those people who really just loves a beautifully shot and designed film you know the, the movie starts mm -hmm. very deliberately with rob morrow's character in a show cat like i think it's a cadillac showroom i'm not sure He's in a showroom, a car, an automobile yeah. showroom. Yeah. I can't remember the car, mm -hmm. but uh, but it's it's getting showed off all the features and the car is on this turntable and it's all kind of done in one shot. It's really, it's just gorgeous and amazing and shows you the salesmanship and the the beautiful like remnants of Art Deco design that we had in the late fifties. Yeah, 
Um, and, and that showmanship is everything. And it, it ends up toppling this little mini empire that they had. The head of the mm -hmm. network's like, oh, what do you want? You know, uh, and he, said, he says this to Morrow's character when he's confronting him. He's like, what do you think's going to happen? NBC's going to go on. Geritol's going to go on. Everything's going to go on. Everyone's all, all, you, all you're doing is making a big mess over what? And mm -hmm. and you that of course he stubbornly refuses to believe that, but we all know that's true. And yeah. and he has to learn the hard way that it's true. And it's it, yep. it's so it's heartbreaking on multiple levels. There's I just but and yet you it, it's weird, Joel. You can really really enjoy it because. People aren't shooting at each other in the desert. You know what I mean? Like it's, you really, yeah, right. You, you, oh my god, you know, yeah. We, you know, we, we were you, talking about this. You, you and I were talking about this. Uh, you know, uh, I think it was maybe after last week's show. I can't remember when we were talking about this, but when we were talking about some of these things and, and how, um, you know, this movie came out in the same year as like Pulp Fiction and Forrest Gump and Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption. Redemption. Yeah. And, and, you know, and yeah, and you, this movie is not, yeah, it's not the, the stakes are not life and death. This, the, yeah, there isn't anyone shooting at each other. There isn't. And yet you're just, it's, it's frame by frame. It's just riveting. It's just so. It's not even an over so the good. top yeah. emotional movie. No, really. It's, it's not. Yeah. It's about very polite, relatively decent people who get all wrapped up in this sort of weird scandalous thing and they become the they become the the you know the thing of the hour the thing that needs to be brought down the thing that needs to be punished and canceled and then of course everyone goes on with their lives there's a there's a tragedy to that that's really really sad yeah and yeah. and yet there's something almost i don't want to say uniquely american about it but it's, it's such a cool slice of americana and the early days of tv and there's a romanticism you know about it too that's very very appealing and so yeah, I, you know who's also really good in this. You know who's also really good in this as in a in a, in a performance role. Mm -hmm. Martin Scorsese, as the yeah. executive, as the head of Geritol. Yeah, uh, and it, just with that with that that Scorsese grin when yeah. he's just like he just gets that 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 grit. It's unlike any smile that anyone else ever has, and he just and and you just know it is a Cheshire cat smile that is just like and it, and it goes back to that what who's getting hurt yeah Mir mira what? sorvino is really really good in it too we should and mira sorvino that yeah i was gonna yeah i wanted to make yeah, I was gonna make sure that yeah, she got because it's too. not it's like a lot of films of the era it's not really about the ladies you know totoro's got a wife and it, 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 they're around but that mm -hmm. that character um Mm -hmm. Yeah, jo well, let's give it Joanne Carlo as as uh, Herb Stemple's wife as uh, yeah, Stemple. right. She's great. She also it. gets these great. She has yeah. a couple just heartbreaking. Um, who's who's the who's moments. the new champion that shows up at the end? Grace Phillips. She's pretty great in it. But I think it's <laughs> yeah. I think it's Mira that um, I, I think it's Mira that we can relate to the easiest, and I think because of that, we're. I think we're we're even though we it's there's a sense of inevitability of, to all of it. I think we're emotionally blindsided because that's the mm -hmm. character that gets what she wants in the end. And are are we really satisfied with that? What is it about us that that you know that wants that? In a way, she's a it's a really complicated, interesting character because she's 
She really wants to, she wants her husband to bring this thing down. At the same time, she, she, she doesn't, he, Morrow's character has a real affinity for Fiennes's. And that there's a friendship that's, there well, that develops. Yeah, and there's the this, oh. there's this sense that Morrow is going to bring down television and leave the individuals out of it and nobody will really get hurt. And mm -hmm. she's like, I don't, you know, well, I can't remember what they say, but it's uh, like, there's a great line where it's like, you, it's like. It's like putting blah, blah, blah on trial and leaving out blah, blah, blah or something. And it, it, the metaphor, yeah. I'm not remembering it, but it's fantastic. Um, we, can... we do look right past the movers and the shakers to the recognizable faces, and we do want to blame them and move on and sleep soundly at night, regardless of who's, which parts of whose lives are sort of destroyed. And I, I think... I think that um, Quiz Show is a near perfect film, actually. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's and that, that's the reason why um, on our list it is the number one movie. Um, really, yeah. really good film. So anyone who somehow let that one slip by, it was a, a year of really amazing movies. Um, check it out. It's really, really yep, good. yep. Sorry, just real quick, seeing if I could find this. Uh, uh, <laughs> finding this quote, and I just found this other quote though. It's uh, Paul Schofield's Mark Van, uh, Mark Van Doris character cheating on a quiz show that's sort of like plagiarizing a comic strip. <laughs> oh, Schofield, I, is, I mean, he's so yeah. good in general. Um, <laughs> but I just you know, a, a yeah. guy that maybe you don't know and maybe you don't even recognize, but a guy who was a legend to those who knew him and worked with him and to those who, you know, have a mm -hmm. healthy, um, a healthy uh, amount of sample size of stuff that they've seen him in. You, you cannot deny how incredible mm -hmm. he is. And this, from a film role standpoint, he's really great as the King of France and Henry V, but th this is better. Yeah. This is, this is this much, much more real, much, much more, uh, even though he's a, a lofty guy who it's tough to attain even what he is, there's something very, very human that he lets out Yeah, in it that um, his, it's his heart. It's truly his heart that has broken the hardest by this event. And yeah, that yeah. really, really lands in the film in an mm -hmm. incredibly profound mm -hmm. way. So. Um, all right. So four years later we get an, uh, he directs again. Uh, this time, uh, in 1998, we get The Horse Whisperer. Ooh, The Horse Whisperer. Yep. The mother of a severely... Joel, you're not drunk. a big Horse yeah. Whisperer fan, are you? Oh, not really. I had to... I had to... <laughs> I had to cheat a little to coax this further up the list <laughs> <laughs> because it's like no, I, I, I I'm just not a, yeah, I'm not a big not, yeah. not a, well. You know, get, the, lay, these lay, next two films here, yeah, well, these also based on a novel, and it was Redford's first film he directed that he appeared in, and is essentially the main. It's not really again. It's one of those. He's the Hollywood main character in it. He really isn't the main character in it at all. But you know, yep. whatever. Yep. In a Redford so film, get, that's those distinctions. To be fair, aren't the, as important as in some others, which is kind of what's neat about all of these. That's a mm -hmm. style thing that he, he. I know he didn't write any of them, but he's clearly drawn to those stories where multiple human perspectives are important to get you to the end, and I think that's pretty cool. So go ahead, Horse Whisperer. Ah, uh, yeah, the Horse Whisperer is the mother of a severely traumatized daughter, enlists the aid of a unique 
horse trainer to help the girl's equally injured horse. The mom, played by Kristen Scott Thomas, because the horse, because of this, I don't even want to say what the, the tragic event that begins this movie is tough to stomach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though it's done tastefully, the real, the hard, harsh reality of it is definitely sold in the film, which it kind of has to because it's this kind of amazing, inciting incident that makes the rest of the thing make any sense. But in a horse riding accident, it's kind of a calamitous kind of multi-accident. But it, the horses were involved yeah. in it. Um, this girl and her horse were injured. Her friend and her friend's horse were killed. And yeah. it, the, 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 the girl, in this case, is played by a young Scarlett Johansson. Um, in a, it's a pretty tricky role. I have to say that Scarlett pulls off pretty well. It's, 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 it's a kid performance where, where the kid is like, where the kid's sort of the main character and is also sort of the antagonist to her own happiness. And if the film has a big flaw and I don't know how it could avoid this, this is anytime we deal with this stuff in a Hollywood movie, um, we're getting better at it, but you know, ordinary people is arguably better at it from 15 years earlier. But whenever we're dealing with psychological trauma, we were, it's impossible to not oversimplify that. And of course that's a disservice to what that actually is. I get it. There's it's mm -hmm. movies called the horse whisper and the horse psychology is even sort of questionable, even though they had, even though they took great pains to sort of, you know, what they put on screen to have it be useful. They, they always having to cut corners and to oversimplify things to get a story told in a two hour time period. That's just, right. that's just how it is. Right. Um, yeah. Everybody sort of agrees with that, but it, it, there's something beautiful. And again, this more like the outlier in here is Quiz Show. This much more of a throwback to A River Runs Through It, where it's this beautiful outdoorsy guy. This character is a conservationist and a, a just a horse specialist. You know, he's based on yeah. a handful, a handful of real life people. Um, and one very specific person was actually a consultant on the film. And the mother yeah. brings this dude in because she believes that um, she they want to put this horse down because it's sort of gone psycho over this trauma. It's it's, but she believes in her heart that her daughter's recovery is somehow linked to the horse's recovery. And of course, the movie ends up proving that true. But it shakes up their whole lives: love, mentorship father figure to an absent father played really, really well by Sam Neill, by the way. Sam Neill. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, 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 it's the, it is, it's corny. It's not ordinary people, but it has a lot of those, it has a lot of those same strengths where these, the people really do feel like they're people in the story. And I think that's the strength of it. There isn't, there, it never becomes. There never becomes a fable aspect to it, which is definitely something that some of uh, even even Redford's best stuff can sort of fall into that trap. Um, the people do feel very specific, even if the story is a little bit whimsical and magical, um, taken on its own merits. But I like Horse Whisper. It's shot in two different aspect ratios. That's weird. To uh, spherical 
185. It's shot at super 35 millimeters, so you can do both if you want. Um, that's the shape of a modern television. And then as it gets out into, the, when they leave their suburban trappings and get out into the country, it becomes this widescreen film, which is an interesting thing that works better in the theater than it does on your TV at home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. hard to, it's easy to pull that transition from widescreen to, to IMAX and back off the films that do that on home video. I think work great. This one tries to do the opposite. It tries to go from a thing with no black bars to a thing that has them. And that's supposed to feel expansive. And of course, unless you crop it on all sides and then expand it, it doesn't feel that that's what happens in the theater right. on your TV. Yeah. It goes from being this to this and that's yeah. doesn't have the desired effect. So that maybe that hurts it. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. No, I, I mean, yeah, it's, but it's a style. It's a really unique at the time. A lot of movies are doing this today, but it's a really, especially because it's streaming, they're made for TV, so they can play around with this stuff in a way that in theater films we really didn't. But it's just, it, nevertheless, it's an interesting stylistic choice that Redford makes, that the director of Redford makes, that we don't, you know, mm -hmm. we talk about how there's not a lot of that stuff. This film's very stylish. It's very slow motion-y. It's, again, it's very backlit by the lighting. The music's very beautiful. The story's very... Uh, you know, all these horse stories, you know, they all seem to have that, that romantic connection between people and animals, you know, it's got all that in it. And I, I like it for mm -hmm. that reason. I think it, it, it's not one of his better films, but it's not one of his worst films either. I put it squarely in the middle, didn't we? Uh, yeah, it is number six. So you fall five would technically uh, be squarely of, yeah. in the middle, but so it's, yeah. it's the, top of the bottom of the list of a list yeah. of pretty pretty good movies again a list of really good films yeah, yeah. uh even all the way down to number nine but um <laughs> you know hey someone's got to be uh someone's, someone's got to be, be six and charlie you horse yeah. whisperer and of course horse whisperer, this was that six. book that book and i think because it became a movie that it introduced that it was the first use of that term whisperer whisperer yeah in every popular yeah. culture now so people often say that i'm a ryan whisperer yeah, that's that's not yeah. wrong. If anyone no. <laughs> is, anyway, it certainly would be you. <laughs> um, all right, our next uh, our next movie. Uh, two years later, in uh, in two thousand, um, we uh, we get a golf film from Robert Redford called "The Legend of Bagger Vance." You like the Ledger Bagger Vance. This is we, we swapped these on the list. This, Joel liked this one much better than me. What is it that well, you really, like? I mean, no, really. Let's start. No, with that. I, I. It could be. It's either. I mean, really, it's a toss up between. I, I just know that uh, they're similar, you know, aren't they? In kind of in a lot of ways, in yeah, the way they feel uh, and sound and appear. I'm I'm a sucker for you know I am a sucker for sports movies. Me too. Uh, yeah. You know, and and so I, I, I that's really the only thing that maybe that that uh, as i was putting together my list i was like well i mean i do you know it, i i don't love you know it is uh you know I'll, I'll just say it it's the it's the magical negro stereotype coming in and where he comes you know and, and, um, and unnecessarily super magical am i right i mean yeah, that's really the yeah. problem he he wanders in out of the fog he leaves down a beach and you almost think he's going to fade away like literally yep. before he doesn't okay thank you but 
<laughs> you really do expect him to go off to the spirit world yep. or to open up an umbrella and fly off into the sky at the end of the thing. <laughs> oh, he, and, opens up a, he opens up the nine iron. He takes the, the <laughs> thing off the nine iron and floats away. So that's getting yeah. ahead of ourselves a little bit, but that is problematic. I don't have a problem with him being an African-American character like this. They're based on... Do you have the IMDB up of this? Uh, I do. And, uh, yes, I do. Go to trivia. The first trivia in there explains the sort of Greek characters that they're based on. Or the first or second, you'll see it where they say... Uh, it it, it's, it doesn't see. come from nowhere. This story is based on an old, very old, you know, foundation of Western civilization story about this um, landowner, you know, important guy who was basically guided by an angel if you can believe yeah, that it's the, or it, a God the, who's masquerading as his chariot driver. The Bhagavad, the Bhagavad Gita. It is uh Bagger Vance and Arjuna are representations of the Bhagavan or Krishna and the Arjuna from the Hindu text of uh, the Bhagavad well, Hindu. Gita. Hindu. So yeah. The lessons learned by could, Ranaf are loosely based on those Krishna teaches to uh, Arjuna while masquerading as his lowly chariot driver. Wow. So I thought, I guess the chariot part was what made me think it was Greek. Hindu. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's even cooler because that's now we can super get behind it because it's really cultural. It's not Western civilization. It's something entirely different. So it, it is based on that. That's the that's the thing that's happening in it. It, it they, they didn't just pull a quote magic Negro out of their pocket. They gave this a lot of thought. No. The, the no. problem with Will Smith's character is that he just doesn't do anything substantive in the film because he's just a caddy in a golf match. And that isn't enough, really, for for a, a character to need help to navigate through. You feel like he helps him through life, but you... I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, man, but I just feel like he doesn't really help him at all. He doesn't help him with golf. He doesn't help him do anything. He doesn't even coax him into the match. Um... <laughs> um, so that's weird to me. Plus, Matt Damon, our hero, uh, you know, he's a World War One vet who was a rising golf star uh, before he went to the war. And of course, a lot, like a lot of people do, he survived the war, lost himself in the war. The film says did not want to return to a hero's welcome, so he just sort of disappeared and became sort of this sort of grumpier version of Brad Pitt from uh, River Runs Through It. And mm -hmm. it, that's again, that's not enough. The horror of war isn't shown. We don't experience it. His trauma doesn't seem to be really much more than he just is grumpy and and you know what I mean. Like there's not enough there that's happening for me to get on board with it. What I will say is that as a as a straight up golf movie, a period golf movie, it's it's one of the top ones. Okay. There's like two or three really good yeah. ones. And yeah. because the golf is really, really cool. The two other golf characters that are in this exhibition tournament that they play are based on real people who are very interesting people played by sort of unexpected, uh, guest stars in Bruce McGill and Joel Gretsch. Gretsch in particular is really, really good in legend of Edgar Vance. Um, so is Charlize Theron for what it's worth. In the end, it's not worth much. None of it mm -hmm. is. It's got a really good kid performance. It's got just lovely cinematography, but the whole thing is so turgid and meaningless. It when it, by the time it's over, that I just I'm like, this isn't 
it needs to be more than this. Something. It has to be more than yeah. this. Uh, Gretsch's character, actually, the cooler things that Matt Damon's character does in the film are attributed to his real-life character. There's this moment... I can't remember Gretsch's character's name. You can tell he's a real-life golfer. Uh, Bobby Jones. Yeah, Bobby first, Jones. First one to win the Grand Slam, which was mm -hmm. all the championships in one year, which was a different yeah. thing than it is now, but still was an incredible accomplishment. He missed doing it another year, which would have been mind-blowingly amazing because he... Uh, because he was moving debris around his ball, and the ball rolled like nothing, just a few inches away. And he, even though nobody wanted, his opponents, the crowd, the judges, no one wanted him to take responsibility for that ball moving. He saw it move and felt he had to take integrity. He ended up losing that match by one stroke. So it yeah. really, and yet he's, he's this guy where that's part of the legend of Bobby Jones is, you know, he was yeah. this wonderful golfer, quit kind of early, but had this incredible integrity and stands up for everything that's pure in the game. Um, but if you're not into golf, man, I, I don't know what's in this movie for you because none of the other stuff is treated with any weight, really. There's a suicide in it that's sort of impactful, but... It, it he just wants he just doesn't want to deal with any real trauma. At least Horse Whisperer does that. And these films are similar in a lot of ways. They came out around the same time. They're similar in their delivery. But Horse Whisperer, the inciting incident, is it's, you feel it, and that's important. This this sort of Matt Damon silhouette standing above the above sure. the trenches with this voiceover explaining that war is hell. That's not enough. That's not enough. If this is about recovering from war, if it's about reconnecting with your past, it's about moving on into the future, whatever the hell it's about, even the sage, wise, magical character who comes in has hardly any lines and doesn't help the, our main character or us at all be better in life. So I'm not yeah. sure what is even going on here, really. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I, I just feel like Will Smith doesn't do anything useful. <laughs> he does carry the clubs for... Well, seven tenths of the match, but but right, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's it. And yeah. maybe that's the point. You got to do it yourself. But what a weird thing to have a guy like that in a movie like this—a huge star, not as huge in two thousand, but huge enough. Right? It's one of the movies he did right after Independence Day, and it was, it, you know, I, I just I don't get it, man. I I yeah. I, I don't hate it because it's not a contemptible movie, but it, it's. In fact, there's some great speeches about golf. The kids got one. Why it's his favorite game. Bruce, yeah. uh, Bruce, Bruce McGill, man, he's got McGill a great. As, yeah, he's got a great as one Walter in the club Hagen. after one of the matches. Yep. Uh, so there's some neat things in it. Uh, Charlize really, she's like just refusing to be in sort of a dumb movie. <laughs> she goes down swinging, but yeah. I just, I just don't think it's. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I yeah, I I, I can't disagree with uh, any, anything that you say, and I think it's appropriately. I mean, uh, I like I said, I I know, had it dead last on my list because it just oh really yeah because to me it's it's not even it's just the ambition isn't even there. Our next sure. movie at least has some, and that makes a difference. <laughs> that makes it mm, okay. You know, it makes a difference. You, you, sure. I use the word turgid. That's not a word you hear me use on the show very much. <laughs> um, but it, it, it fits this to a T yep. that doesn't mean it's so, terrible or it's bo or it's uh, super boring, but it's, 
it's uninvolving in all the ways it should be involving to me. And so that's my one person's reaction to it. Maybe right, I've lost well, the so magic. It, it's possible. Le- Leg- Legend of Bagger Vance is our number seven film. Um, and uh, in uh, let's see 2007, so we had a seven year break while he's uh, he's doing some filming and doing some Sundancey stuff. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Robert Redford teams up with the Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise and Paula Wagner after they got kicked out of Paramount revitalized yeah. the United Artists shingle, and the first thing they did was a weird uh, multi-part. A fractured narrative about uh, the war in Iraq, or is it about Afghanistan? I can't remember which. Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Okay, so yep. this slightly less illegal war, um, and it was a weird choice at the time. It's sort of funny because all their stars willed that thing into profitability. It made about eighty-three. Mm-hmm. It was a semi-modest movie, made about eighty-three million bucks at the box office. Um, it was pretty pretty good, but it 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 didn't it didn't do quite what any of them wanted, and it really has that feel to it of a movie that just it doesn't quite make it to be what it wants to be. But at least yep. Lions for Lambs is what it's called. At least it yep. At least it wants to be something that's important. You know, most of uh, Redford's not all of his films like taken in as an actor or as a director, but most of them are certainly all of the ones we've talked to up until this point are politically neutral and Redford is not a politically neutral guy. He's a dyed in the wool, uh, surfer, liberal conservationist. Like he's, he is mm-hmm. really, really, he's not his liberalness isn't extreme, but the fact his steadfastness and his beliefs to that degree have been known from the start and they've been consistent to the present day. And so this is a film that deals with war from different perspectives. Again, I'm sure that's what appealed to him. He himself plays a college professor explaining to a young uh, Andrew Garfield, the story of these two soldiers that he used to have as students played by Derek Luke and Michael Pena and Derek Luke and Michael Pena. They it's their story the one that doesn't involve any movie stars that really it's the story of war and it really is the story that works. Mm-hmm. It's really just a combat story, but it, it works because metaphorically it does all the things that Redford and Redford's character, frankly, want it to do. And if it were right. just that, that we'd have had something much simpler, but, and, and perhaps a little simplistic for a war movie, but I think we would have had something simple that you could say it's this where the movie is different is it has this reporter played by Meryl Streep, right? Yay, Meryl Streep, interviewing this young, ambitious congressman played by Cruz. Really well played by Cruz. It's it's a verbal diarrhea sort of role. And he really, he really gets this guy and is really willing to play the sort of ugliness of the things he thinks and says. And I dig that because that's not something... He does it every once in a while for us, Tom, but it's not something he does a whole lot of. And it doesn't really compare to his villain character in Collateral because that that's a villain assassin. Like, it's cool. Even if, yeah. you know, even if we're not supposed to like him, we love him. We love spending two hours with that guy because he's cool right. and he, he's a killer. And, you know, he's like one of those bad guys that you love to, to love, essentially, for better or worse. That's my take on that film. This, he's playing a, just a jerk. 
ambitious congressman who's got this sort of unconventional um, strategy for for winning the war that he wants to see implemented, and part of it is selling it to Meryl Streep, who in this case, she's completely wasted in this part. She does great. Tom needs somebody in the room with him, but I I always think this part, if it were played by like Catherine Morris or just somebody with not the huge actor profile, you know, but a decent actor, mm-hmm. th- this all I think would have played a little bit better, but I think it's the two, the two superstars squaring off against each other sort of lets it down. Yeah. Um, yeah. I- but it was inspired by a guy was watching, uh, the writer. What's who's the writer's name? Cause he's pretty clever. Matthew yeah, it was um, Matthew Michael. Yeah, Matthew Michael Carnahan. He was inspired by. He was watching during the war. He was watching a USC football game, and the scroll at the bottom was talking about this incident where this uh, personnel carrier tipped over in a, into a ravine and a bunch of people drowned in the war, and the two things inspired him to write this story of this sort of multiple perspectives and how, you know, the sort of unfeeling way they interacted on his TV. And of course the film kind of in a brilliant sort of way ends with this real news where at the bottom of the scroll, you see that this congressman's plan actually is going to be going into effect. Mm-hmm. And I, I dug it, but I, I didn't, I, something about it. I don't like it. I feel like it, it just uh, keeps falling yeah. flat on its face, even though it really, really means well. I think the overt. Yeah. We're going to talk about a couple political movies coming up. He he didn't really shy away from that near the end of his career, but there, but those movies are human in a way that this movie, even Redford talking about Derek Luke and Michael Pena, is a lesson. You know, it's a lecture, and that's what the film feels like. <laughs> It feels, yeah, and it feels like a lecture, but it also feels like a lecture we've already heard 14 times before. Sure. There's nothing new going on. I mean, it's just, it feels like, and it, and it just, and it's just, you know. We're the, we're the, the choir, the, and he's the preacher, and we still feel like, Jesus, is this preacher going to really preach about yeah, this like, again? Yeah, enough. Yeah, I'm, yeah, that's, that was, that. that's how I felt. I remember when I watched it, and obviously it's been years since I watched it. But I just remember just going, okay. It's the only yeah. film, it's the only film, even Legend of Bagger Vance, which has it in spite of itself, it's the only film on this list that lacks any human subtlety whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the soldiers come close, but they're just, they're only a little under a third of this thing, and you just, that's not yeah. enough. And so, so, what's this one ranked? Or did you have more this to say This one is it? number nine. No, I don't need to talk about it. It's number nine, and it's number nine for a reason. Nine out of nine, yeah. It, just, um, it doesn't have... It It has a cool point of view, and I appreciate the lesson in it, actually, but it just doesn't have any of the any of the strengths of a Robert Redford movie, which is, like I say, that human element that just isn't really here. It doesn't help mm-hmm. that it's packed with stars. That's how they were trying to sell a movie like this. You know? Well, yeah, it's Redford, Streep, Cruise. I mean, what? Come on. That's, that's, that's and it's based on that great quote. It's like a World War One quote, I believe, where it's like, yeah, there are a bunch of lions being, you know, commanded by a bunch of donkeys. And and that that's part of the story, which I think is yeah. pretty cool, you know, it, which was later paraphrased as lion, lions for lambs. Mm-hmm. So I... I like it. I get it, but I get it. 
I get we get it. We really do <laughs> we get, get it. We get it. <laughs> um all right. So uh And it's not stuff. even of all the uncrowd pleasing torture films and all the you know it's one of the most pedantic and worst ones because it doesn't even it just doesn't get you there in a human way. Nope. That's what sucks it's, about it. Yeah, it's boring. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, in 2010, so three years later, we get uh, The Conspirator. Yeah, the American <laughs> Film Company, which I think ended up only releasing about three or four films. It's Maiden Voyage. And I really wish that that was something where if they'd have thought of that in 1991 or something, you might have had something. 2010, sorry, you guys, mm-hmm. way, way too late to think that you can just make movies about American history lessons. That that was never going to play. Um, they made a movie, a World War II movie about a plane that gets lost at sea, and they made a movie about um, Adrian Zapruder, who shot the Kennedy assassination, right? Uh, with Paul Giamatti, which is pretty, pretty good. They're both pretty good, actually. Yeah. But the crown jewel, as you would expect, was this first one, where even though it's a very modest film for a period film, it it trotted out big time actors and a, a, a sort of amazing thing that again has sort of been brushed i said it before swept under the rug of american history this incident this trial that happened a trial if you can call it that hearing i don't know yeah the inquest uh the uh the tribunal it's a tribunal it's a military tribunal yeah yeah, right for non-military personnel Mm -hmm. right in the wake of uh of the abraham lincoln assassination and it's a it's a glorious film it's really i'll just it's so good Instead of leading you to that conclusion, I'll just tell you flat out, if you have not seen The Conspirator, because this is full of mm-hmm. actors that we all know and love today, it's it's this really, really amazing story. It's a really great script. It is a history lesson. Yeah. First and foremost, this thing is a history lesson. But because of Redford's involvement, because the script is very clever about the perspectives that it brings to it. And because Redford as a filmmaker really delivers on those different arguments and different perspective, because it really is a yep. film about people arguing with each other. Um, yep. it's, it's stunningly good. The there's, yep. uh, we, we open right in this sort of cold mountain opening where, um, James McAvoy's is captain in the, I think he's a captain in the union army near the end of the yep. civil war and his pal and, um, played by Justin Long are lying in this thing trying, he's trying to keep his friends uh, like distracted. They're so both he, injured. Yes. Yeah. They're both injured and bleeding and he, and McAvoy's keep trying to keep, yeah. Keep him, keep him awake, keep him alive, keep him distracted. Well, yeah, just keep him to forget that he's dying on the battlefield essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's a, this great heroic moment. And the two both return to Washington where they're conveniently from or thereabouts, um, the nation's capital. And, and they're given a hero's welcome. Truly. There's this great scene where, um, Tom Wilkinson, who plays the plays a is he a senator? He is a senator, I think. He's a senator from yep, Virginia, senator from Maryland. No, Maryland, Maryland. Yeah. He's from Virginia, yeah. but he's a senator of Maryland. That is an important distinction. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, very much yeah, so. yeah, true. So I don't know. We can get d- d- deep into the weeds here because the period details and the story and biographical details are so kind of amazing yeah. and cool. But he introduces uh, his his 
protege, this young lawyer that McAvoy plays to the head of the War Department, played brilliantly in only a few scenes by Kevin Klein, who's the... Danny Houston, Cole Maney, Kevin Klein, Tom Wilkinson, you know, it really piles on awesome actors in these roles that aren't really central to the thing. And that's a testament to what Joel was talking about at the beginning of the show. Actors who are really good, who don't normally sign up for little roles like Kevin Klein, showed up for this yeah. thing to do it because of Redford, and that's the only reason why. It 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 shows the night of the um assassination of president lincoln in an amazing way in a really economy of storytelling and yet in this way that feels epic and sweeping and terrifying yeah what i just on the streets of washington what was it like when this was going down when people just shouting that this happened there's this chaos and horrible nightmarishness to it that's that is played really really well and you get why the nation and especially this group of people these Washingtonians, why they feel the need for sort of immediate, what they call healing, but what is really just flat out aimless vengeance. Mm -hmm. They bring a lot of these quote conspirators, the tagline of the movie. And it's said by Danny Houston, the prosecutor of the film, Danny Houston's great in this movie. Oh, Danny Houston's he's got so the, good in this. He's got this perfect mix yeah. of the, a really good military lawyer. And yet a sort of, there's a clueless innocence to him at the same time that really humanizes him and makes him it, it refuse. The film refuses to make any easy villains out of any of these people. And that's, yeah. that's really, really cool. Uh, Alexis Bledel as, as McAvoy's fiance, you know, they, they, it'd be so easy to play these parts in this way that where they're just foils for a hero. And yet every one of them come across, as sort of incredibly human. And I love that mm -hmm. about it. Um, it's the story of the tribunal specifically of what's her name? Surratt of Mary Surratt. Yeah. The, the mother of the, basically One the partner it, yeah. of John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Um, he, he wasn't really yeah, the, ever, the, he wasn't tried for anything really. If memory serves. Uh, well, no, he, 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 he was, but he, he was. yeah. But so what, it, it, it's a bitter irony. It's really horrible. Uh, but, um, but the, uh, I mean, the story itself is that classic, we have a lawyer and we have a despicable defendant, but you know what? In this country, you're still entitled to a defense and a vigorous defense. Even in non-military military tribunals that are clearly a yeah. setup, somebody has to come to his defense. And it's Wilkinson's character who does. And then yeah. just and he says, and you're going to be my second in this. And, of course, McAvoy says, screw you. You go get some yeah. other second. I'm not, not going to defend these murderers. Yeah. And then Wilkinson, like, what does he say? It's so cold. And you just know, oh, man. He says, I, I, it, well, this, I can't serve this case i'm this southern guy with this reputation yeah yeah yeah, yeah this she cannot be defended by by a southerner and he goes uh, it, 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 it it needs it needs somebody like you you know you're young he's like i don't even know what i'm doing i've never been in a trial before and he goes yeah but your your sort of naivete and inexperience should help you in a trial where the where there are no rules basically yeah <laughs> it's a what a terrible mentor character Tom Wilkinson yeah. is. And yet he comes, a, it's it's a great performance too. I love it. This mm -hmm. weird eccentric guy that gets, yeah, his, he, gets his little men, mentee and all this trouble. 
but and, and like yeah and and of course our lawyer you know he he reluctantly does it hates doing it but get but absolutely gets caught but has up a in lot it of and, legit process questions about it and mm-hmm. gets to know this woman and believes that whatever sort of you know southern catholic sympathies that she has that she never intended for president to be killed Mm -hmm. and really didn't have anything to do with these people other than they all stayed at her boarding house because her son lived there yeah uh robin Robin wright as mary surratt outstanding evan rachel wood too equally so as her daughter it it, it's packed to the rafters with great bit performances it Mm -hmm. it really is a history lesson and it's a piece of history that I would never know about or think about if it weren't for this film. And that's glorious whenever you run across that. Yeah. The movie yeah. reminds me of is Amistad. But I have to say that it's even has, it has even more integrity than that because it never goes for the, the, the cheesy emotion, the cheap sentimentality. Right. It's always a very in fact, hard reality that the people are part of. Yeah. I was going to say, in fact, it goes, it, it intentionally goes against some of that, you know, that, that, you know, that, oh, that yeah. feel good. Uh, Toby yeah, feel Cabell, good. Norman Reedus, Stephen Root. I mean, I just go on and on and on. Uh, uh, yeah, it, that was, that was my, that was my favorite. One of my favorite, cause I love Stephen Root so much as an actor. Uh, it was like this movie's going along and you're just like, this is, man, everybody's in this film and oh man, they're so good. Kevin Klein. Oh, hey, that's Jonathan Groff. Oh, well, this is one of his first film where like, he's really good in this. And, yeah. and I, you're like, and then I was like, Stephen Root. Stephen Root's in this. Of course, Stephen. Of course, Stephen Root's in of this. Of course, he's because in it. it's that kind of film. Yeah, he's fantastic in it. Yeah, it's, it's uh, really yeah, good. It's the really conspirator. Good. It's recent. I mean, relatively recent. 2010. It's not yesterday. It feels recent to me, but it is sort it, of getting. It, yeah, it's objects in the mirror. It, you know how it goes. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But it, it's a very modern film, really, in all every way. It's modern storytelling at its best, and even if it's an old fashioned story set in a period time period, it's it, you know, it's got, it's just really good. I don't know how else to yeah. describe it. It's really yeah. smart, well told story with a great script that delivers on all fronts. And that may be overselling it a bit because it is a history lesson, but I think, I think you owe it to yourself to watch it. If you haven't the conspiracy. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, all right. Yeah. Number, and that's our number four, four film. And it was Joel's number three. I, I think it was number. Yep. And I think that's fair. I, I think, you know, I think a river runs through it. I sort of, cause it tied. So yeah. I sort of vetoed that. I feel like a river runs through it is, has Redford's soul in it. So as a filmmaker piece, I feel yeah. like, but the conspirators, the better told story and it, it and it, the easier watch. So mm-hmm. check it out. Uh, all right. Next up is the final movie, his ninth and final film uh, thus far that he has directed um, is 2012's The Company You Keep. Another one. These two, I sort of think of them together. They came out just a couple years apart and are sort mm-hmm. of the, the final movies on this list. Obviously, we've gotten to number nine. Um, the company you keeps a trickier, much, 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 much trickier story than the conspirator where you really feel like you've seen all this before. And yet, wow, it's super compelling that it's like a pop song in that way. The conspirator it's, it's familiar instantly. And yet it's, it just, 
gloriously firing on all cylinders. Company keeps a little trickier. It's a story about a former what, what's the name of the group he's part of? The weather the weather the weather underground. The weather underground. Yeah, so a former sort of e eco like uh, liberal terrorist back in the sixties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they yeah very they they were part of the the weathermen who uh, were were anti war anti Vietnam War protesters and then they were like hey look sit ins ain't doing it and and the weather underground stepped it up and got violent yeah yeah and uh, some amazing people play me former members of that Susan Sarandon Julie Christie mm -hmm. and Robert Redford himself um. Redford plays a guy who's been discovered because of a it, it's a plot heavy film, really plot heavy. It's one of those movies where the journalist is tracking the mysterious guy across the country. And so it's revelation after revelation after revelation and this this inciting incident that they have all changed their names and gone into hiding all these years over. The truth of that is also slowly revealed to you in the film. So I don't really want to get into all of that. Susan Sarandon in a cheap stunt by the FBI is about to turn herself in and reveal who she is and is arrested at a gas station against her will. So she doesn't get credit for turning herself in so they can throw the book at her a little bit harder. Sarandon's not in it much, but she is fantastic in this film. Holy smokes. Yeah, she, she has an interrogation scene that is absolutely <laughs> just crackles it crackles it's so yeah good. it's really really good it's, it's worthy yeah. of her few days of involvement uh yeah. the the crack reporter what really is sort of one of the main characters anyway is played by shia labeouf and one of his uh, my favorite performances of his it, uh, here's what i'll say as someone who uh you know i i haven't seen the the uh the transformer films or anything like that but uh it's like when i watched when i watched this i'm like Oh, I get why he was a why he's a big deal for a while. He's really get he's he's really he's so weirdly charming in this. You get why you get why everyone is willing to share information with him. Um, and yeah, it, it, he's, yeah, yeah him he's, and Redford scenes he's together in particular are stunning. Anna Kendrick's got yeah, a big part in it that they they have a great chemistry together in a very small mm -hmm. amount of screen time. Um, but it's basically Redford as this character going back through his life, meeting with these people. Nick Nolte, Richard Jenkins, really memorably, I think. Oh my um, God, Richard Jenkins, so good. Richard Jenkins, one of the one of the weather non underground people who really thought by going extreme they lost the plot together. He's he's yep. what you, most hippies became. He's a college professor. He's got a normal life. And the look on his face when Redford walks into his lecture hall is is yep. one of pure like horror and and yet there's anger too. It's this great mix of stuff. Jenkins Jenks just fantastic actor. Mm -hmm. Uh, also, Brendan Gleeson in a great role. Britt Marling is so good yeah. in it, too. Holy smokes. Yeah. Britt's one of my favorite, favorite actors. We're going to do a Britt Marling show once. That's how much I love her. She's still young. <laughs> but she's well, done so say, many interesting that that roles. Far, but, uh, she's done so many interesting roles in so many little films. She, she didn't like how Hollywood treated her they wanted her to be in all these horror movies and stuff so she started writing her own scripts for herself to star mm -hmm. in which is an unheard of thing for a young starlet to do in hollywood but it worked and yep. she shows up in so much great work of substance and she's fantastic in this as well um in a part that has to land again that has to land in a very few short scenes beyond just how cool it is on paper and it is 
Yeah. It has to land in a different way to work. The uh, Chris Cooper plays Redford's brother. He's Chris Cooper. What do you, can you say? Um, Chris the, Cooper. Who's, who's plays his daughter? Do you have her name? Cause she's, that's important uh, well, role too. Yeah. Jackie Ivancho, the, the singer, the, the girl who burst on the scene as the oh, yeah. childhood, the childhood singer uh, with, you know, what did she, uh, America's got talent. She finished uh, what second or something, but uh, Wow. Um, but she—that's where she gained stardom. She's was on awesome America's in this. America's America's Kids Got Singing or whatever. Uh, and and, um, and finally, I mentioned her already, but we'll mention her again because she's worth saying twice. Julie Christie. Um, Julie Christie. Uh, well, also real quick, uh, Sam Elliott in a great, uh, great little cameo <laughs> role. Uh, Stanley Tucci in a. Oh yeah, a yeah. Really Stanley as the editor, as the as the put upon editor. Um, and <laughs> you gotta and have course, somebody he, chasing the guy who's chasing the guy, and Stanley's fantastic. Yep. I agree. Yeah. And he's uh, and and showing up again, Stephen Root. Stephen Root. There that's right. Again. Of course, yep. Stephen Root's great in it too. I forgot about Sam Elliott too, which is too bad because I love. There's nothing Sam Elliott loves to do than to remind conservative America that he's not the Marlboro Man, that he's a pot smoking, <laughs> cynical yep. hippie, and that you better stay out of his way. And this is even though he's barely in this, it's he's he's important, and his screen time is important, and it is great because it's a different perspective redford knows mm -hmm. these hippies man he knows these activists he's known them his whole life he, he almost as much as a hollywood leading man can be almost was one and it's their story and it's all their what they've become and why and it's a fantastic movie absolutely if it's the last movie he does it's not the last movie he acted in but if it's the last movie he directs it's very very worthy i had it just a notch under yep. conspirator at, would that yeah, make the, it five? Five, yeah. The, the only the, my big drawback was is um, I, 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 you know, I, I just felt I figured it out way too early. Yeah, yeah. I figured out. I figured out everywhere. The I figured every twist and turn, yeah, even yeah. as a mystery, uh, maybe it's it's not for yeah. it's for more people who watch movies like me, not so much Joel or Jenny, the person I watch all my movies with, because she's always like two steps ahead. Yeah. always and i'm always like well i'm not even thinking about that when i'm watching a movie which is why i yeah. enjoy them so much <laughs> because which i'm is, not trying well, to figure yeah, them out great. i'm just i'm letting them wash over me it is a yeah, movie well, that if yeah, you think about it it ain't too there funny. was one yeah there was one moment there's one line um and i and i i can't share it because it might give uh yeah. give it might give away a big old plot point but there was one line and it's delivered you know at just about the halfway mark and it's and, and it's a supposed to be a throwaway line right but it's hit a lit just a tiny bit too hard right, right, it's right. like it's the sound mix on it was just a little bit too much to say here's a line you got to hear uh, <laughs> and i was like Oh, I know exactly. And I just, and I just, the whole, do, the dominoes all fell, which is, I mean, other, that's, that's what keeps it, <clears throat> excuse me. That's what keeps it from being higher on my list. It's, it's, it's a very, really, really good film. It's a very it's plot really dependent good. film. But even if we told you the whole plot on the show right now, which we tried not to do, I really think it's still a great movie because it's just such yeah. a great character movie. And it's so, it's just it's so believable all these people are so believable it's all these it's a parade of movie stars you know maybe they're all over, really over the hill but it's a yeah, parade again, of movie one. stars which shouldn't work at all and just yeah 
works every yeah time. this was a, this was another one where it was like you're watching it and you're like damn Stanley Tucci Robert Redford you know all these people and then you're like Brandon Gleason is in it too it's, huh? it's like yeah and it's like oh man yeah this movie's got everybody Brandon Gleason's great in it yeah he's, he's great in and it. He, uh, he, <laughs> he's really good uh, yeah it's it, um he's great yeah. in it yeah, yeah, it's he's good, really good. It's good stuff. So, all right. So, those are the nine films directed by Robert Redford, and uh, and the comprehensive, dare I say it, uh, uh, be all end all list of uh, ranking of these films, uh, as told by the movie show with Joel and Ryan. Starting at the bottom, uh, goes like this. Lions for Lambs, The Milagro Beanfield War, The Legend of Bagger Vance at number seven, The Horse Whisperer at number six, number five is The Company You Keep, number four is The Conspirator, number three is A River Runs Through It, Through It, number two is Ordinary People, and number one is Quiz Show. Um, Little under the radar is- films, sort of, they're not the big demonstrative ones, but the top five on that list are amongst the best movies of their eras. Uh, with a little, I'll give a little extra love too to Horse Whisperer, which I really think is kind of neat, even if it isn't amongst the best films of its era. And even the bottom four, which we ripped on a little bit, are still got all kinds of things to yeah. enjoy and like about them. And yeah, um, again, these are these are nine films that are are really really good. They're, they're really all good films. We just all you know done uh, for a reason by somebody who t- values his time and his artistic statements. He does as an actor as well and it it you feel that. You feel the love and care taken with particularly with the people and the human element of the stories. And you'd expect that from an actor, but even in the worst of these films you get it pretty much every time. And yep. I I really really dig that about him. So yeah, seemed like love it. when you look at the list on the Wikipedia page, the director list, it really feels like one where like, wow, that's any director. That's a list to be proud mm-hmm. of truly. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah. And that, and, and that is our list. Check out if, yeah, if you haven't checked out, did we, did we totally miss the boat? Should Milagro Beanfield war uh, be further up on our if list? If you can say something uh, that, that makes me like Milagro Beanfield war more, I would really appreciate it because I really want to like if you that can, one. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so maybe I, we did miss can, the point. It's possible. And if you can explain to me why I should look like lions for lambs and I don't fall asleep, then kudos to you too. Um, but well, I, I didn't uh, fall asleep. But, it's a lean and mean <laughs> hour and 40 some minutes. Yeah, no, I just was bored out of my mind on that yeah, one. It's, uh, it's but a little, um, little preachy. Uh, but you can reach out to us at the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook. Uh, ask at Joel and Ryan on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and you can email us. Ask Joel and Ryan at gmail.com. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, next week, boy, do we have a next week's show already? Or is, uh, yeah, no, we're, we're, Ain't that's right. no we're show next on. week, baby. Nothing but oh, yeah, that's right. Next show. And... Next, yeah, I am going to be on a trip to Finn, sleeping jag. So enjoy your holiday. We, you know, we here at the movie show with Joel and Ryan, you know what we're thankful for? Mm. Thankful for you. We're thankful for you, dear listener. You. You right um, there. Yeah. Yep. So we will see you uh, and hear you all. It would be the saddest how... damn thing in the history of the world if it weren't for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but we will get we will catch you in December and we will uh, we will charge forth uh, to put out a couple really good a uh, couple more episodes before the end of the year. 
And then, hey, then it's 2022. And then we're, that's, then we're off and running again. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us on The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Until next time, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. <laughs>